You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. take the next six weeks, and and I'm just going to jump right into it here. I'm going to take the next six weeks, and I'm going to talk about our core values. And this is really, really important to me, and I've spent a lot of time looking at our core values. And I don't want the idea of talking about core values to be just like, oh yeah, that's what we believe, that's what we're after. I want to understand the essence of why we have core values as a church. You know, you have whether it's intentional or unintentional, every person in this room has some kind of values. You've got some kind of core values. And so I believe that every person and every entity, but specifically the church, should have values that they specifically move towards to see those things manifest to shape the culture and bring about the culture that God wants to have here. So if you look out on our wall out there, don't do it now, stay seated. But when you leave, if you look out on your wall, you'll, have, you'll see a board out there and it says uh, vision, mission, uh, strategy, and core values. And so that all is staying, but it's going to be tweaked. It's going to be changed a little bit. You can look and go and read that there are 12 uh, core values out there. Who can name all 12 core values? Let me just see. Nobody can name all core 12 values. So when we develop the core values... We developed uh, sayings behind them to, and really a uh, declarations behind them to, to make a declaration of this is who we are, and this is what we want to see, and this is the culture that we want to have. And so it's really good. But the Lord has really spoken to us to, uh, to simplify and to uh, bring it down to just six core values that we're going to have. Because if you look at the six, the other six actually will fit under those and it will make it a little bit more bullet pointed. And so I really believe that culture is one of the most uh, important things in a family. It's one of the most important things in a church. And everybody has culture. Every home, every business, every church has culture, either by design or by default. And so I learned about four years ago that I was tired of having culture by default, but I wanted to have it by design. And culture is this. When you walk into you know, the church, you experience something. And I'm really happy to say that when people walk in here, they experience love. They experience all kinds of things that we've been very intentional about. But for a lot of years, we just kind of, you know, just kind of went about doing whatever, and we're not not incredibly in, intentional. So now we are very intentional. And so I'm going to do something. And you know, we have two different different churches, but there's a um, there's a, a vision that belongs for both. And definitely part of the vision are those core values to have established that will dictate, that will determine the culture in which we live in. And so the core values, and I actually meant to print up a sheet, but I'm going to have to go into my uh, Google Docs to pull this up. Let's hopefully I can do it. I did it. Praise God. I want to give you very quickly, and you're going to see in the next, I think, a week or two, you're going to see ch- some, a few just minor changes out there as far as our signage and stuff. So it will be very, very clear. You know, the Bible says, uh, write the vision down, make it plain so that he who sees it may run with it. And we learned that years ago. You got to write things down. You got to spell it out in crayon, basically, so that everybody can see it, and it'll just be very simple in their hearts. And so that's really something that I'm after here. So our vision is, of course, building strong people and building strong churches. 
And so that's something that God just, it was like he dropped in me, he lodged in me, and it will, it will be there until forever as far as I'm concerned because it was God-breathed that he gave that. As a matter of fact, the Bonterre Church came about partially because of our vision statement. And when Pastor Donna came to me and she said, what does that mean to you, building strong churches? And I explained it, and she said, well, I asked because, and then, you know, the rest is history that she felt impressed to ask us about, you know, coming and, and taking over. I hate to use that word. It sounds like a military operation, but absorb maybe is the better word, absorb their church, and they come underneath of our covering. And so the, the vision statement has already proved to be that it was of God. And so praise the Lord. We're going to continue with that. Our mission statement, basically, your vision is why you exist. Our vision is why we exist. Your mission is what you do during your existence. And then your core values are what you believe that determine the culture that you're in. Does that make really sense? Let me, let me say it again. Our vision is why we exist. Our mission is what we do while we are in existence. But our core values determine the culture that we have. Every place you go into, every restaurant, every everything has some kind of culture. And again, it's either by design or by default. And we've just learned that we're going to be very intentional about the culture that we have. So our vision... Our, our vision is building strong people, building strong churches. Our mission is getting ready to change, and here's what it's going to change to. It's leading people, and every single word of this is extremely intentional. You can write this down if you want, but this you're going to see this more. It's leading people into a life surrendered to the Lord, clearly hearing his voice, choosing to follow him, and going into all the world which is a mouthful, and it's a lot more complicated than the vision, which is why we exist. But our mission is this. It's to lead people into a life surrendered to the Lord. And this has come out of a lot of my personal time with the, the Lord and a lot of ministry that comes out of me. Like, I'm, if you haven't noticed, I'm really big on surrender because I think it's silly to try to move forward with the Lord without a surrendered heart. Because people will be like, oh, God, thank you. I'm going this direction. May or may not be the Lord, but they try to do it all themselves. We need to be surrendered to the Lord every single second of every, every single day. We can't do anything without him. A lot of people are, are screaming, God, use me. And the Lord's screaming back, not really screaming. Actually, his still small voice is saying back, make yourself usable. And it doesn't mean clean yourself self up, but it means get rid of trying to do everything yourself, lay yourself down, and allow me to flow and work through you. And that's an awesome thing. So leading people into a life surrendered to the Lord, clearly hearing his voice, choosing to follow him and going into all the world. So that is our mission statement. And then our core values, and this is where I'm going to get in. I'm going to talk here, and I'm going to talk fast. And these are things that I've actually uh, mentioned and have taught on, and I, I minister from these without saying this is our core value. These are things that I have mentioned and talked about over the years. But I'm going to give you our six core values, but then for the next six weeks, I'm going to take each one of those, and I'm going to specifically teach and minister and explain and elaborate my heart and what the Lord has put in my heart concerning those things. And at the same time, I'm going to, I'm going to do the same thing in Bonterre, but it's going to come out probably different in both places because um, that church is at a different place than where we are right here. And so I just believe the Lord is, re I really believe in unity. And actually, this is the one I'm going to talk about today. I didn't even think about that. But I really believe in unity. And I really believe that, that bringing the churches, it's not that it's merging into just one big church. There's two separate locations. But the heart and the vision and stuff is God breathed in me 
and it's right for it to be in both places. And so I, I just decided, like, I think it was, you know, there's a scripture verse that says that it was good with me and it was good with the Holy Ghost, and so we did it. And it wasn't like a thus saith the Lord, I want you to mention this word. I'll do that a lot of times. The Lord will give me just a prophetic message or say, I want you to teach on this. This was just like, this seems like the right thing to do. The Holy Ghost was good with it. I was good with it. So we're just going to go for it. Amen. And so um, we're gonna, I'm going to give you these, these six. Here's what the six core values are. And again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention all of these and be ministering on all these the next six weeks. And so here they are. And I'm going to minister them in the order that the Lord tells me, but I'm going to list them uh, in this order because they're, that's what it's written on my paper. It's love, faith, excellence, unity, honor, and hospitality. It's love, faith, excellence, unity, honor, and hospitality. And what we did, and I started asking some different people this question when you take all of our 12 core values that we currently have listed out on the wall in different places and 101 and 201, all that kind of stuff, out of all of those 12 core values, I asked people, give me the, the top five or six, I forget what I asked, give me the top five or six that you see us functioning in right now. And basically the consensus was these, these six. Everybody had at least a few of these six in there, and then a different group would have the other, you know, the other ones of the six or whatever. And so these are the ones that we see that we're operating in really strong, and it's like that's the way that God is working through us. So we're going to capitalize on these things, and we're going to even increase all that much more. Amen? And so we're going to talk today about unity, and this is something that is uh, very, very important to me. And it, when you go and list all the six, you know, love, unity, uh, faith, excellence, honor, and hospitality. Thank you. Uh, when you go and list all of those, it's hard for me to say which one is the most important because they're, they're all part of God's nature. They're all part of who he is, and they're all part of what he's designed and called this church to be. And so, but I want to start with unity because I think that if we don't have true unity, which we have a level and a measure of unity in this church that is higher than it's ever been. I mean, it's, it's awesome when I see the way, you know, we had a particular situation come up and the Lord told me to ask a few individuals in particular just to help this one family that was in the church that really got hit. And so I asked a few people um, just as the Lord uh, told me to, and it, I was overwhelmed at people just taking their pockets and just going, uh, here you go. That's my brother, my sister, and we're going to help them. And that's the kind of unity that will bring about greater measures of the glory of God in, in the days to come. We have to have that kind of thing to where we'll take anything that belongs to us, it actually belongs to the church. That's what they had in the, in the, new, uh, in the new Testament. New Testament church, they had all things in common, even to the point to where they sold their property and they came and they, they laid it at the apostles' feet so they could distribute it to the people as they was a need. And so there is, a, there is a, a coming greater unity than what we already are walking in, but I believe we're just going to keep pushing forward to it and we're going to increase in this. Here is the declaration concerning unity that God has given us, and I'm going to read this to you, and there's going to be a declaration behind every word that I give you over the next six weeks. And so the declaration for unity is 
you can say I or say we, but the thing is, is when you say I, you personalize it. You're saying, I'm choosing to participate in this. You know, I heard something very interesting this past week. I was listening to, um, I get so many videos. By the way, if you send me a video and I don't listen to it, it's because I literally get probably six to ten videos sent to me every day. And I'm like, Lord, what, what do I need to listen to? I don't have enough time in the day. But I, I, I love the fact that you guys communicate with me. I love that. Um, so, but, uh, I was listening to this one, one video and it, it was, uh, Andrew Walmack's Truth and Liberty, which he has on Monday night. And he brings in people that have a good ear for what's going on in our country politically and the government and all those things. Well, he had, uh, Glenn Beck and David Barton on there, which are two, if you don't know who they are, then you got to go find them. Those guys are awesome. And so, um, Glenn, I'm going to try not to go down a rabbit trail here because this was, this was so awesome. But, uh, Glenn raised um, $32 million in three days. That is impossible. I think what I heard is that that was the largest amount of money ever donated in, in a three-day period of time, if I, if I heard that right. But it sounds about right to me. $32 million in three days. And it was for, he's got this thing called the Nazarene Fund, and it's for helping refugees all over the world. So he and, and specific said, we have to help the people of Afghanistan. And so he went and raised all that money. And David Barton, um, who's the wall builder guy, if you need to know some things about our government, go listen to David Barton. He is a machine. He's amazing. Um, so they went and they, they did this together. And there's so, much, there's so many details I'm, I don't really have time to give you. But I want to say this, that uh, you know, for all of the people, and we mentioned this yesterday on the live, and then I kind of went off the rails, and then I, I came back. But, you know, for all of the people that have ripped on Kenneth Copeland for all these years, uh, if that's you, you need to repent. Seriously, actually, seriously, you need to repent if you've ripped on him. That, you don't have to agree with everything that he says, but that man is a man of God. And all the people are like, oh, those prosperity preachers in their airplanes and stuff. Praise God he had an airplane that he donated or lent to Glenn and wrote a check for $15 million to help him. That's a prosperity preacher doing what he's supposed to do with prosperity, helping people. So hallelujah. Anyways, I don't want to go down that road, but praise God for Kenneth Copeland. I mean, praise God for him. He stood all of these years. You, you Google Kenneth Copeland false prophet, heretic. That's usually what, before you'll find uh, like Kenneth Copeland Ministries or something, that's usually what you'll find pop up first. And I'm thinking, what a crock of baloney. Anyways, okay. So they were on this, Glenn and, and uh, uh, David were on this program with Andrew. And they said something that was, they both said something that was so profound, actually Glenn and Andrew. And Glenn had an opportunity to be with Billy Graham right before he died, and Andrew had an opportunity to be with Oral Roberts before he died, two of the greatest uh, giants in the faith that there are. And I heard Lance Wallnow say, Billy Graham represented the fruits of the, spirit, of, the, of the Spirit, and Oral represented the gifts of the Spirit. And I thought, that's actually, that's a pretty good, I like that. And so uh, Glenn was saying when he was with Billy Graham, he said that he, he asked him this question. He said, Reverend Graham or whatever he called him, he said, when are we going to see the next Billy Graham, the next uh, Mother Teresa, whatever, all these kind of big names? He said, when are we going to see that rise up? When are we going to see another person like that? And he said, Glenn, he said, God's tired of men taking glory for what he does. 
There won't be any more people like that rise up. It's going to be on every single person hearing the voice of God and doing what they are supposed to do. And I, I thought, oh, man, I was, I'm getting chills now as I'm, as I'm listening to me say it. But then Andrew comes on and he said, he said, man, Glenn, that's awesome. He said, he talks just like, I love him though. He said, he said, I was with Oral and he said, he basically told me the exact same thing. That it's going to be multitudes of people doing what they need to do to see things come about. And you know what I heard when I heard that? Unity. I heard unity. There's a greater, you cannot separate from the scriptures. You can't separate out manifested glory from unity. Anytime you find manifested glory, healing, power, victory, love, whatever you want to say, you will find at the root of it, you will find people that are unified. And I've said this many times, and I'll say it again, that unity and agreement are not the same thing. They're not the same thing. Me and this lady are extremely unified. Me and this guy are extremely unified. And we've had conversations where we haven't agreed, and we've had conversations where we haven't agreed. Why are we still together? Because we have covenant with one another. We have true biblical unity. It doesn't matter whether you agree or not. I think where you disagree with people is when they say, you know, like Buddha is Lord or something, then it's like, well, bye-bye. I, I don't have any place to stand with you. But if they believe that Jesus is Lord, they call on Jesus, and they believe in him, and they love people, then move forward with people, you know? I'm not saying every, every person needs to be leading the church or whatever, you know, if they're not ready to do that, but we need to walk in a level of, of unity. I saw a sign, and this is, this is bigger than even the church. It's actually in our nation and, and in our world and I saw a sign on Facebook or something, and it was these two people holding hands, walking down the street. And one of them said, uh, I'm vaccinated by choice. And the other one said, I'm unvaccinated by choice. And you know why that's so important to me? It's because I see, I see, and I've given my opinion about it all or whatever, but I see this and so many other things as poised from the enemy to bring separation to people. We have churches that are being divided because of that issue right there. Why? Why would we divide over it? You want to come and ask me my opinion? I will give you my opinion, but I'm going to love you all the way through it. You do whatever you do, whatever you feel like you have to do. That's a right decision for you and for your family. And you know, there's there's other things that are actually like no, actually that is wrong because the Bible tells us that is wrong, like homosexuality and abortion or whatever. But they've used those things. And I say they, it's the enemy working through powers that be to push those things super hard to bring more division. Do you know, and some of you may not agree with this, and I don't, I don't really care if you do or not. I'm just going to tell you, the, the racial divide that's happening in our country is really, it's by and large, is uh, faulty. It's not even real. We do not live in the 1960s again. We do not live in the 1860s. I'm not saying that there wasn't a, a serious racial problem in our country, and I'm not saying that there still isn't a racial problem in our country, but they're making it look like everybody's against each other. Go and talk to you know, someone that's a different color than you and ask them what they think, because I've done it. And they're like, I don't have a problem with white people. It's, it's whatever. You know, but they're they doing all this stuff to bring division. And I say this, that we are going to operate in an opposite spirit than what the devil is doing. And we need to have our eyes open to the reality that this stuff is trying to infiltrate the church, and we need to shut it down at every turn. Amen. I haven't even hit my notes, and I'm almost 
I'm almost out of time. Okay, so let's look here at John chapter 17. And I didn't give you the, the definition of unity. I started to, and then I interrupted myself with some good preaching. Here is the, the, the not so much definition, but declaration. I will diligently work to keep peace and unity with all people I co-labor with in the kingdom of God. And we could extend that out beyond just people in here, but also people wherever. But we're being very specific with the people that we co-labor with in the kingdom of God. We are going to diligently work to keep peace and unity. And every word in there is by design. Do you know that we already have unity? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to show you something. Ephesians chapter 4. Some of this is going to be like, I've heard this before. There's a reason why the Lord is wanting me to say these things again. There's a reason why it's good for me and good for the Holy Ghost to say these things again. Because we will always have temptation to be in disunity with people, and we have to shut the door on it. When God's called you to be in covenant with people, again, it's not about agreeing on everything. It's about, it's about having a, a bond and a unity that's there because of who we are in Christ together. And this is Ephesians chapter 4, and in verse 1, and we're going to read 1 through 6, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring, and, and endeavor is a work, right? It's something that takes some work, some effort, effort. endeavoring to keep the, keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice he doesn't say to come into the unity or to hopefully obtain together to the unity, but he says to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know how you keep something? Is you first recognize what you have. Fortunately for us, the next verses tell us what we have. It says there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So that's a package deal that's been given to every single one of us that we have to have our eyes opened up, and, but then we have to endeavor, we have to work to keep unity. You know what that tells me? Is that it does, it does not happen organically. It doesn't happen organically. Now, I've met a few people that you could try to disagree with them, and they just, they're just not the kind of people that you can disagree with. My mom was one of those people. It didn't matter what she did to my mom. She, would, she might disagree on the inside, but she, you would never know it. You know? Well, those are few and far between. Most people, you get two people into a room, and eventually they're going to find disagreements with each other. Eventually they're going to have reasons to not walk in love, to not walk in unity with each other. But this is where we, as a personal choice, a personal decision, say, no, I'm choosing to walk in unity with that person. I'm going to watch my words. I'm going to watch my body language. I'm going to watch everything that I do because I value them more than I value my opinion. Sometimes we just have to give up our right to be right. I mean, if you're right and you get separated from people that God's called you to, then how, how great was your rightness anyways? I mean, it, just, it really just doesn't matter. Amen. We've all got our things. We've all got our opinions. And listen, I, I have a greater uh, respect for you listening to me because I, I'll, I always preach the word, but I also give my opinion. That's part of, that's part of having the microphone. It's just, it just comes out. You can't help that. And there's probably sometimes you're like, well, I don't really agree with that. Thank you for having mercy and walking in covenant and walking in unity with me. 
Amen. But I know none of you ever disagreed with anything that I ever said, so it's, it's totally cool. But it's something that we have to endeavor. Let me tell you something else um, about unity, and I kind of mentioned this. Let's go to Acts, and I'm going to hit these verses really quick, and then I want to do something special with you guys concerning communion that I believe that the Lord, I know that the Lord put on my heart. But let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to hit a couple sections of Scripture here. And I kind of mentioned this already, and that there is... Uh, the combination of glory, the things of God, and unity, they absolutely go hand in hand. There's a togetherness or a one accord. All those words will work when you're describing unity. But let's see, look here in Acts chapter 2, and we know this very well in verse 1. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And it says, I can read it, but I just, I mean, I can quote it, but let me just read it. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with what? one accord in one place. And then as the story goes, of course, the Holy Spirit fell and all of the great things happened. But we can't leave out every single part of Scripture is imperative. It's all there for a particular reason. And it doesn't just say that they were in a place and the Holy Spirit fell. It says they were in one accord. It meant that they were unified and I've got a definition here that I think is, is really good. It means being unanimous, having mutual consent, being in agreement, having group unity, having one mind and purpose. The disciples had an intellectual un unanimity. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but they were intellectually unified. An emotional rapport and a... I don't even know why I'm reading this. I can't even read it. But the point is, is they, they, they were totally, I'm looking at this thing, and I thought I read this and could read it, but because usually I try to read something because I'm not that smart. I'll try to read something before I get up here, but apparently I didn't read this and thought I did. So now I just, anyways, they were together, amen, and they were really together and unified in covenant, and great stuff happened. Jump over to verse, same chapter, verse 40, Acts chapter 2 and verse 40, and it says, and with Many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Did it say each one all by themselves continued? No, it says that they continued. What did that mean? They were together in doing this. And then verse 30, 43, it says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praise God. Great things happened because they were together. They were, it was a they. It wasn't individuals. It was a they coming together. And there is a commanded blessing on unity. Whenever we are unified, there is a commanded blessing that comes because we are unified. You know that the more unified, no matter how much the guy singing the songs screws up, <laughs> uh, the more we are unified... In singing those songs, regardless of the instruments that are going or not going or the drums or no drums or guitar or piano or whatever, the more we are unified, the greater amount of blessing will manifest in our midst. 
I believe that with everything in me. This is why for years, the only fight that I fought in the church was the fight against disunity. There's something that God has placed in me because disunity is so disorderly. And I'm a person that is, uh, I'm wired for order. I'm wired for divine godly order. And whenever I would see people, and I'm so thankful, like, I feel like, you know, now it's like, this is amazing. I mean, it's, I'm not saying we don't have to work through things or whatever, but it's, it's not like it was. Why? Because there is a unity that is on this place that you guys don't have, like, personal ambitions and, like, selfish ambitions to come in and make all this stuff all about you. And what, what's so cool is that when anything rises to the top, there's, I mean, just rises up to somebody, in somebody, and, it, and it's like not a right thing. There's enough people that are like, hey, brother, hey, sister. They don't have to come have a conversation with me. It gets snuffed out right away because we're like, actually, it's really just not about you. It's really not about your singing voice. It's really not about your ability to minister to kids. It's really not about how well you can do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It's about ministering to the church, to the body, as unto the Lord, and seeing what God does in our midst to, to shape and mold us, but also to shape and mold and change and reform the whole nation. Let's go big, the whole nation. Let's go bigger, the whole world. But it has to come from this place to where we are really just... And that's where disunity comes from. James says this. He says, where do the wars and the fights and the quarrels come from among you? Are they not because you, um, you desire to have things upon your, yourself that you, you, you lust and after these things of like, I want things for me? And that's what happens when people come in with a me attitude. Here, they used to find people that would team up with them. You're going to have a hard time finding a, someone to team up with your nonsense if you have a me attitude. You're going to be like, man, no, everybody here just basically is out for everybody else and not themselves. That's pretty awesome. I love that. That's what you call good culture. Hallelujah. I want to show you one more verse. And this is really, and actually I'm going to show you two, two more verses. John chapter 17. And then we're, we're, going to, we're going to close. John chapter 17. I love this verse. And we're going to go to verse 20. John 17 and verse 20. And I want to read these few verses here. And it says, I do not pray, so again, John 17, 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. These are amazing, this is an amazing passage of Scripture, these are amazing words that Jesus was saying. His prayer here in this particular thing is that the disciples, that the believers, that they would be one just as he and the Father were one. He says, so that the world may believe that you sent me. You know, one of the, one of the things about a sign of a false prophet is that they believe or teach or somehow reveal or say that Jesus did not actually come in the flesh. You know what one of the greatest signs of a, of a true believer or even a true prophet would be not just that Jesus came in the flesh, 
but it would be that they walk in oneness with people that proves that he actually came. That's the sign the world needs. The sign, the, the, the world, they can figure out arguing and fighting and all that stuff on their own. What they can't figure out is how to really truly have a, you know, I, I don't, I just, I want you to take note of something. With family and different people that you come in contact with that are outside of, of this church, or just, I'll say, outside of the church as a whole, it's interesting you watch how so many people are lonely. There's a lot of people, especially right now with a lot of isolation, demonic isolation stuff going on. It's crazy. It actually breaks my heart. It's totally demonic. And I know that people got to do what they got to do at the moment, but just to be totally cut off from people, is that's not God. But there's a lot of people that are lonely and they don't have anybody to even do life with them. And it's because they're not in covenant contact with people like us that actually know how to love people. And I'm not patting myself or even you guys on the back. It's patting Jesus on the back. What I'm saying is, I think sometimes we forget how special what we have really is. It's funny to me because we'll have different ministers and stuff that will come in. And you watch and see what Carly and Ashley, when they come in, Carly's highly prophetic. I would say she's probably a prophet. But, you know, like Joseph and Heather, for example, when they come in and they're like, this, this place is special. There's not very many places like this. You know what they're sensing? I mean, they, they might, Joseph especially sees a lot, extremely accurate, but they sense and see the culture that God has breathed here, and it's a very unified culture. That's not normal. That's just not normal. And I thank God for it. And it, what has happened is that there is, there's family here, and we're not perfect at doing it. We are not perfect at doing it, but at least we're moving in that direction. And I, I know and have met, and I'm sure you do, so many people, family members or whatever, that they are, and it could be their own fault, but they're, they're cut off, and they don't have this kind of unity that, that we're experiencing here. I just, I just think it's special, and I'm, I'm really glad to be a part of it. Liz and I are glad to be a part of it. If, even if our, all of our own biological family disowned us, I mean, that wouldn't bless us, but we would, we would be okay because we have you guys. I say this before, and I've I said it before, and I can't ever say it right, but the, the blood of the lamb is thicker than the water of the womb. There's something that we have in covenant with each other because of the blood of Jesus that actually goes past sometimes even our own siblings that we came out of the womb with. Because unless you come into the kingdom, then you don't really understand the dynamics of what, what God has done with this person and this person to bring them out of the world and then bring them together. It's the most special thing that there is. The most beloved, the most beloved people, and I'm not saying I don't love my earthly family. I do love my earthly family. But the ones that we can run with are the ones that are kingdom-minded, the ones that have just had this heart of like, I'm putting you first and not me first. I'm after what God wants. I'm not after what I want. That's awesome. That's awesome sauce. All right, let me read this last verse to you. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want to do something um, really special here. I'm reading this. Actually, I want to just go ahead and do this. Um, I want the ushers, if you guys could, just as efficiently as possible, go ahead and pass the 
No, don't, because then you won't listen to me read this verse. But get ready, ushers. You're, you're on call. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want to read, I'm just going to read a few verses here. I hate to only read a few because context is king. But it's talking about the Lord's Supper here. And basically, just to give you a very quick backstory, these were people that were coming in and really only caring about themselves, and they were not caring about the needs of others. And, you know, communion, you know, we take a cup and, and a cracker or whatever, and that's fine. We can still look and what it looks like. But communion back then, they sat, their whole deal about communion was they come together and talk about the Lord. They would have a meal together. It was very common. And whenever they would do it, it, it wasn't like we have all this stuff of like, do this in remembrance of me. You know, we break it. And I, what to me, what Jesus is saying is that when you come together, come together remembering me and what I did for you, and you do those same things to other people. That is real, true communion. And that's not to pull away from this and even what we're getting ready to do. This, this fine, it's good. But sometimes we can get caught up in like, just like this is how we do communion and forget that communion is about remembering what he did for us so that we can turn and we can do that same thing for other people. So in verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. That's, that's mind-blowing. The same night he was betrayed, he took bread. And he gave thanks. And you go and you compare Scripture with Scripture. He knew who Judas was. And actually, I was thinking about this, he knew that Peter was going to deny him. I mean, that, you know, Judas, it was like he was never really true. And so there's a level of that just to be like, okay, well, you're rotten to the core. You know, maybe he was more true than what I know, but it seemed like he was just rotten to the core. And he was hell-bent on totally being after himself and getting his 30 pieces of silver or whatever it was. Jesus knew about him. He knew about him when this was happening. He knew about it. But he also knew about Peter. And see, that's one that, that gets me. I mean, could you imagine Spending three years, giving three years, not just spending, but giving three years of your life to ultimately give your entire life and to one of the people that you gave all that time to and poured into, he knew he was going to deny him because he said, you're going to deny me. And he, and he denied him. But he still took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body and still took the cup and said, this is my blood. And if you read in John chapter 13, he washed their feet and it says that he, he said, all of you are clean, but not all of you, meaning Judas, because he knew Judas was going to betray him. He washed Judas's feet knowing that he was going to betray him. You talk about somebody that pioneers love. You talk about someone that really understands what it means to be unified and endeavor to keep unity. Jesus understood that perfectly. My God. It says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Here's what I want to say about unity. You cannot have unity and offense at the same time. It doesn't work. It will never work. 
And I'm not saying this. Because I've had times when I've had to minister on offense because it was running so rampant in the church. I had no, I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't catch up with it fast enough to go out and put out a little fires. I had to get in my hose and go, this is not one of those times. But it is good for us to know this. You cannot have unity without, or you can't, yes, you cannot have uh, offense and have unity at the same time. It's, it's impossible. Jesus had every reason in the natural to be offended. He knew. He was the perfect prophet. There was never a prophet ever like Jesus. He was the greatest prophet ever. He knew what was in Judas's heart. He knew what was in Peter's uh, flesh. <laughs> I don't think it was in Peter's heart, but I just think he was just so weak at the time. He needed the Holy Ghost. Get the Holy Ghost, you'll get bold. But to, to be walking with people and then have them do, how do you keep from, how do you keep from getting an offense like that? I mean, come on, that's real. That's real stuff. Have people that you know are going to stab you in the back. I mean, I, I, I think every one of us would be like, oh, yes, I want to be like Jesus. But if we were really faced with, they're going to turn me over to the authorities so the authorities can kill me. And would that same person sit and have a meal and wash their feet? I mean, my God. If that doesn't depict uh, love, doesn't depict unity, I don't know what does. It's incredible. Cannot have offense and unity at the, at the same time. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.